you're like a human movie jukebox. A movie comes up and you go right into a great quote. Going to the quad. We're all getting naked and running to the quad. Oh, come on, guys. It's all ball bearings these days. Hey, forget about the fucking dough. Well, if this is it, old boy, uh, I hope you don't mind if I go down speaking the kings. Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. I'm Josh Horowitz, and today on Happy, Sad, Confused, it's been four years since Michael Fassbender has been in a film. If I didn't like him so much, I'd be enraged. Luckily, he's gracing us with not one, but two new films, Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins and David Fincher's The Killer. Okay, fine. All is forgiven. Michael Fassbender is back on the podcast where he belongs. Hey, Michael. Hey, good to see you, Josh. It's good to see you, man. It's been far too long. Uh, I know secretly why you're back. You know, this is your fourth time on the podcast, by the way. I thought so, yeah. It all started, we, we did the first one with... First class, was it? Uh, probably first class. Maybe Frank, yeah. even. It might have been Frank, uh, first class. Last time we chatted, it was um, you and Danny McBride, uh, which was an interesting <laughs> experience, to say the least. And that was an interesting experience. Working with him was, was interesting. God, I love I, him. He's so fun. He's the best. But uh, you'll be happy to know this puts you in the lead in the power couple. Alicia had three. You had three. Fassbender takes the crown, number four. Congratulations, nice. buddy. <laughs> Thank you. So it, it, it has been a minute since um, we talked, but it's also been a minute since we've seen you uh, in a film. I mean, I'm sure life stuff, pandemic stuff, um, maybe you wanted to take a break. Give me a sense of like, where were you at coming out of Dark Phoenix? Did you need did you need a little break after that one or, or what? Well, for sure, after Dark Phoenix, I, I you know, I, the, the idea was that, I, you know, I always wanted to go racing. And then the opportunity came about then with the Ferrari challenge to start racing in that season in 2017. And then I really wanted to go further and, and, and do some GT racing and then sort of got involved with Porsche and then started that journey with the ultimate goal to, to, to race in Le Mans. And so the race season starts beginning of April and it goes to the end of October. So it's just kind of, it's a bit tricky to get insured <laughs> to go filming, you know, while, yeah. while doing that. Um, but, you know, Next Goal Wins, we did shoot this time four years ago. Right. We shot, you know, end of 2019. And then obviously the pandemic um, hit. Um, and then Taika was off shooting Thor. And for, you know, various reasons, you know, it, it ended up sort of coming out now. Um, so, and I also did Kung Fury 2, which... Right. Uh, which where is that at? I was going to say, what's going on, Michael? Uh, I think there's just some some um legal uh wranglings going on there but hopefully okay. we'll see the light of day i mean david sandberg you know he's such a um a creative person and just a you know the the dream had come true for him you know this right. is a guy that met first kung fury that went out on the internet in practically in his bedroom i think so i really hope that comes together and it will see the light of day it's fun though because between these i mean you mentioned kung fury in there too but next goal wins and the killer um, the killer is like, for me, the funniest movie of the year. I'll be honest. It is. And maybe that's my dark soul just emerging, but I laughed so much. This is, this is secretly Michael Fassbender's year of comedy 
I think. And I don't know if you like, did you fancy yourself as a comedic actor prior to working with Taika, going to the darkness of Venture's comedy? Um, are you in, is that a comfort zone for you or was, did this feel a little bit out of your normal depths? Uh, I always like um, comedy. In fact, when I first started acting when I was 17, you know, I started with like comedy sketches. Um, and, you know, I've always, you know, you know, I knew, you know, I still know Fletch off by heart. I think the whole film. So that was that was something that I watched on a loop when I was a teenager. Um, but yes, it's it's you know, it's obviously a challenge to to do it right, to be funny. Um, and Tyke obviously is a master. And, you know, it was it was just the opportunity to work with him. And for sure, it was challenging that, you know, it's it's a lot of improvisation. So, you know, you it's a, it's, you've just got to go for it and um, and just sort of be prepared to fall flat in your face and and get up and try again. Right. Uh, and I loved it. It was just, you know, a lot of fun, but also, you know, challenging. Uh, quick aside, uh, do you own rubber gloves? I don't own oh, rubber gloves. No, you, fact, you, you, you failed me. The, the Fletch reference. I'll, you failed I'll, I'll never, me. Yeah, I'll, I'll never own rubber gloves again after using them in the killer. Uh, oh, and they, see, they were actually fisting gloves, um, <laughs> be precise. I yeah, think well, we actually bought, we bought that company out of their fisting gloves. I think right. um, they just they're so, done now. They're out of business. West Coast right now. Yeah, I've noticed that from my orders. I can't I can't find them. So if you get to hook me up. <laughs> um, so work. I mean, I would imagine Nexco wins. The the reason to do this, among others, is to work with the mad genius that is Taika Waititi because there's nobody like him. The way he runs a set, from what I gather, um, kind of organized chaos. It's a very positive atmosphere. Um, did you gel immediately? Did you speak Taika because he's like he's on his own wavelength? Certainly, he definitely is. I mean, we we had the first sort of Zoom meeting that we had, and we just sort of hit it off straight away, really, and then just on set exactly what you said it's a very you know um infectious sort of atmosphere he loves being on set shooting that's where he wants to be and then you know the supporting cast just a um a great bunch of people and um and so yeah we just hit the ground running you know and again you know it was a low budget you know we had a um a fixed um schedule to get it all done so we had to kind of hit the ground running but it was always fun how would you describe your facial hair in this one? Is that is this, this do you, have you achieved new hair goals in this? Is this something sticky. that you feel sticky? Sticky because it's you know it's a fake beard, right? So that always like it's always hard to not do things like this right. when you're laughing. Uh, right. Beards uh, they're sticky and can be slightly restrictive, um, but uh, every now and again I I like to grow a beard myself. Yeah. What about this is an interesting film in that look, especially here in America, sadly, we are raised on this obsession with with winning, right? Winning at all costs. This is a this is a film not about the winners, certainly. And it's and it's really not a it's a sports film, but it's not a sports film about succeeding necessarily. It's a sports film more about finding human connection and community. Were you raised in a competitive way? I mean, you talk about, I mean, you obviously have a huge passion for racing. That is a competitive sport. Are you a competitive guy? I'm competitive with not a lot of talent. So it's a very difficult headspace to be in. Right. <laughs> you know? You're fucked, man. You're totally. <laughs> yeah, it's quite torturous, actually. Um, it's the worst sort of combo. 
Uh, yeah, no, I think it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's very interesting. You know, you say that, like, you know, we watch, well, I certainly watch documentaries and, you know, fascinated by people that have sort of reached a peak in whatever they do and that elite level of performance. But I guess, you know, that's a rare thing. You know, most people experience failure and it's sort of how you why deal are you staring at me like that you're like you just totally zoned in on me right there you're There's like, only one place i can look i mean uh, you know <laughs> um, fair, and fair. it's you know what i love about this story is it's like it's just about community and doing it together and you know what it takes to get back up you know try again try yeah. again fail better the next time i think that's a really positive message and um, a very sort of heartfelt message. It's yeah. that beautiful speech that Tevita uh, gives to Thomas at the end. He was like, well, you know, come on, let's fail together then. You know, it's right. like, you don't have to be your own. Um, so, yeah, I just thought it's such, when I saw the documentary and just saw that this sort of positive attitude of the American Samoan team, I just thought it was like, you know, it's so infectious. Yeah. You've been, so you've been, I mean, it's talking about kind of silly competitive stuff, and it's always weird to talk about acting in a competitive way, but you've been nominated twice for Oscars. Did you find yourself getting sucked in where you were like, I need this, I want this, I want to take, I, I mean, obviously you're not going to want to take down actors you admire, but like, does it kind of, does that horse well, race? Down. Right, no, I heard that about you. <laughs> I heard that. Marbles on the steps of um, yes. the uh, showgirls um, uh, um no, i mean you know you it's listen once you're you're in the mix you're in the mix and it's hard not to sort of yeah get drawn in i mean to be honest with you it's and everyone says this but of course it's just a great honor to sort of be nominated in the first place but for sure you're thinking you know there is a chance is there a chance could there be a chance um but uh like i say you know just uh very privileged to to just be nominated in in the race are there two sad slips of paper that still exist in a breast pocket of a suit somewhere with the acceptance speech you know what i never wrote the the speech so i was gambling <laughs> on your improv skills yeah exactly yeah <laughs> coming full circle not a good idea actually <laughs> um i, I was telling you for that speech it was awful <laughs> I was. Uh, I, I would imagine improv doesn't come so much into play with Mr. David Fincher. Um, let's talk about my obsess my obsession with the killer. I'm, I'm an, a Fincher obsessive lifelong. Uh, where in the list of accomplishments does being the guy in a Fincher movie, seeing your name in the credits, being working with this man for months at a time stand? This must have been a moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially what we were saying earlier, you know, I was doing the, the the racing season during the year and then just got a call from David and we started talking and he had this idea. And I, you know, I always said to, well, for years, I'd said to Connor, um, my partner at DMC, um, the production company that I have, I was like, you know, what about films like La Samurai and uh, Point, you know, Point Blank? I was like, these are, I love this kind of film where it's all pared down and stripped down and mean and lean. And uh, then, you know, uh, Fincher got in contact and had this yeah, idea. Basically, this, Le Samurai for 2023. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, it was just, I felt, you know, so lucky to, to you know, to work with him. We had a great relationship. He's super generous. Um, and... It was, yeah, it was just one of those really special 
moments and opportunities. And um, love the film, love the whole crew that he's got, the precision that he he goes about and how he works. Um, high standards, it's just great. It's um, feels it, super lucky. Yeah, he he creates a world that sucks you in. I, I found myself. I, I went went to see it in the theater when it was playing, and then I had to watch it again the next day because it's just it's it's one of those films that rewards multiple viewings. Um, Absolutely, like, you know, I really feel the does. same. You know, and yeah. I thought, well, maybe people won't revisit it, but they they do. And um, certainly, when you know when I revisited, I was like, oh wow, you know, you just see all the different layers and the detail because everything you know he is so detailed in in the work. So I, I actually felt like I found more in that second viewing. Um, yeah, so it's interesting you say that. 100%. So he also, look, he has like all the notoriety about him, about the unique way he operates. And I respect it. Look, I mean, he's not maybe for every actor, but like he, look, his his perspective is film is forever. We're going to get it right. If it takes five takes or a hundred takes, we're going to get it right. Why? What else are we doing here, basically? And it seems like he almost likes to kind of, Maybe this is the wrong way to put it, but to grind down an actor so that they like they they're not even thinking about the acting, like they're just kind of like doing it, like uh, oh, not overthinking it in a way. Is that somewhat accurate? And did it did it did that jive with your um your style, your approach to acting? I would find that he searches for things through repetition. Right. You know, through repetition, things start to reveal themselves, and you can strive to. I mean, perfection you never you can achieve, I guess, but it is that target of perfection. It is the goal to find perfection. And as exactly as you said, once the scene is done and you leave that day, I mean, you're not going to get a chance again. Um, and we work, you know, super efficiently. His crew, you know, a lot of the crew he's worked with them um, on many projects, so they know it. So we're we're moving fast. If there is a lot of takes, we're we're going, you know, we're moving fast. There's it's it's not a lot of you know downtime sitting around. It's a very efficient set, uh, and I really enjoyed that. And and everybody is being treated the same way. So right. the the dot grip, you know, camera operator, sound, everything has to be, you know, everybody is being um, communicated to the same way. I'm, you know, and everybody is. is is trying to reach that high high standard. So I, I I loved it. The folks don't know about the film. It's basically about a, um, a contract killer who kind of no, no spoiler. I mean a little small spoiler, but in the opening, kind of fucks up. Doesn't doesn't complete the job, and then. Uh, wackiness ensues for the next two hours in terms of trying to, <laughs> in terms of trying to, um, you know, there are some, yes, there, there's some reckoning that needs to be ha to happen. Here's my key question. Having seen the movie a couple times, is the killer good at his job? Is he, is he a good contract killer or is he kind of shitty? Cause he makes some very key mistakes that don't like jive again with the voiceover. He says one thing on the, in, in the narration and then he totally miscalculates for what we see on screen well i think that's that's you know kind of what's what's happening there you're seeing the unraveling of of this person and and their process you know and i think he you know he is good at what he he does because obviously we see um the fruits of his labor you know right. he he has made a significant amount of money so one would imagine he's been doing it for a while since university and dropping out 
of um, that first career choice. Um, and just by his age, one would imagine he's been doing it, you know, I would say, you know, for 15, 20 years. Got it. And, um, and it, it, you know, at this moment in time, perhaps he's slipped a little bit and we see, little, you know, we see cracks. Right. Um, and certainly, you know, at the end, you see the the little crack with the twitch. Um, so, you know, that it's, it's sort of, we meet him at a point where it's starting, I think, you know, to, to unravel. I always thought as well, you know, with somebody, like he says at the beginning, you know, if you, you know, if you, you can't deal with boredom, this isn't the job for you. And that's the thing, you know, he spends so much time by himself with these thoughts, you know, <laughs> there is a, you know, chance that one would go a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He also, he has some very interesting kind of predilections and habits. Uh, he listens, uh, basically to one group, the Smiths. I mean, I guess if you're going to choose one group, that's not a bad one. If you had to choose yeah. one, one artist to listen to the rest of your life, Michael, what are you listening to for the rest of time? Wow. Okay. Um, Marvin Gaye. Okay. Have you ever like keyed into one artist for a role? Like I always remember the story. I think it was Daniel Day-Lewis for Gangs of New York was like listening to Eminem. Not so I read that. <laughs> yeah, I read that. I was like, interesting. And when I watch back his performance, I can see some Eminem in there. Um, <laughs> he loses himself. That's, that's, um, that's, I think that's, I get quite obsessive when I like a song. I might like over list, you know, listen to it a lot. Um, uh, in terms of, I think David Bowie, uh, uh, a bit for David in Prometheus, ah. the yep. man who felt earth. I think there was like, there's definitely some inspiration there. What is the challenge of, look, this is a, a, a role that calls upon a great de degree of physicality and not much dialogue. And then we have, on the other hand, this narration that follows throughout. We are in his head, as you said before. Um, you know, it is a very specific kind of delivery you you hmm. uh, you give in that uh, for that narration. Um, was that easy to key into? Like, does David direct you in a very specific way of like what he's going for, what he wants and what you want? out of the killer's narration? Yeah, for sure. The narra narration, you know, we took great um, detail in, in delivering that. So I think it was four sessions we did. And it was, you know, it's supposed to be obviously very intimate and finding a certain tone in the delivery. Um, uh, we, David was like, I want to be super relaxed. So we actually came up with this system where I was lying down. Oh my God. And the, the cue cards were on a screen above my face and the microphone was here. We first tried it where I was face down, but thing, I think everything got a little nasal. Um, and, and in the end, yeah, I was lying in a bed. It was very, it was the most comfortable sort of ADR voiceover session uh, I've ever yeah. done. Sounds like therapy. Did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but yeah, we took our time. It was four sessions of that. And, wow. and and I was grateful for that because obviously you know it is the sort of inner workings of this character, and as you say, we don't hear him say much, right? Um, you know, on screen and, and with other characters, so it was important to 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 get that you know to get the right pitch for that, to get the right tone. What what does your own inner monologue sound like? Does it is it in your voice? When I'm, is there... acting, when I'm acting, it's you're beautiful. You have a secret. You're a killer. <laughs> Is that only for this role or generally? 
No, in general, I just change obviously the killer, whatever. Oh, the I job see. Yeah, yeah. Is. You're oh, you're yeah. a coach. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you're a yeah. robot. Yeah. So you're beautiful. You have a secret. You can bend metal. <laughs> you hate James McAvoy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hate Charles, but like him, but love him, but hate him. <laughs> Um, you have a hell of a, a fight in this one. It recalled for me the, the great Haywire fight as well. Did he have some flashbacks? How did this one compare to that? Well, it's funny. I think, you know, David sort of liked my character in Haywire. And I think that was the first sort of like maybe idea for me in, in this film. Um, yeah, you know, it did remind me of Haywire because it was that thing of just messy, brutal, um, trying to do something that looks as sort of real and out of control as possible on right. screen. True um, chaos. You know, yeah. Where, yeah, where a lot of times things can look a little slick, uh, which is great. It has its place too, but this one was sort of down and dirty. And what's super interesting with the the end result in the film is David's taken out all the, the grunting sounds, oh. you know, um, which makes it even more disturbing. So if you, you know, watch that scene again, you realize there's no, oh, oh you can just hear the, the impact hits. Oh, it actually makes the sort of the, the, the fight quite intimate, you know, and, and, and even more disturbing. The, the sound design from top to bottom in this, now, now I'm going to have to go back and, and notice that, but like the use of the Smiths and, and how it's, how it's received by the audience versus the character in different ways without ruining anything is, is really fascinating. Um, yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, I mean, again, it's sort of like this guy puts together a hit playlist, you know, <laughs> but not the kind of hit playlist that you're used to. Um, no, the juxtaposition <laughs> is perfect. Yeah, exactly. Also, you get to like, you get the, look, you, you, you get to be this cool contract killer in a David Fincher movie and with all due respect, I don't know if he has the coolest wardrobe, or maybe I'm I'm wrong. Maybe you think it is the coolest wardrobe. Maybe bucket hats are going to come back into fashion thanks to this character. Well, that was something very you know early that we sort of you know leaned in on, and it happened straight away in the first costume fitting because you know obviously the the comic book being inspired by Le Samurai, and then but Alain Delon looks amazing, you know, with right. the the his hat and his suit. And we just started putting on, you know, the costume and it was like, I never wanted this guy to be cool. I always found him to be kind of socially inept. I didn't, you know, it was a character right. for me that I don't imagine has any friends. The only yeah. person in his life is his girlfriend. And um, and again, you know, the, the, what he wears, we were just picking like the bucket hat. Everything was a little off. And I, I and I like that. And I thought, okay, this is somebody that could sort of disappear. You wouldn't notice them. Also, his wardrobe is something that he could buy in any airport. Right. And, you know, all those things sort of made the, the the costume very sort of specific to how he operates, um, as opposed to trying to get a cool look. So that you know, we worked against that straight away from the beginning. I guess that goes to the the um the diet of the killer as well, which is if, the, if there's no red flag that he's a psychopath, it's that he's eating like hard boiled eggs and ensure and egg McMuffins without the bread. Like this is, this is not a well man. Well, this is somebody, yeah, that doesn't really experience the sort of pleasure of eating. It's a right. purely practical. Which form. juxtaposes, well, of, of course, working. with Tilda Swinton, right? With the Tilda Swinton character is totally the contrast there. She's enjoying her life. Exactly. And maybe she's let her guard down a little bit there. And I felt like the scene 
between the killer and the expert, you know, the scene between um, that with Tilda was was kind of like him looking in the mirror, right? You know, um, what his future was going to be like, you know, and and how the end was going to come about for him in some weird way. It's like a mirror. Um, that's what I, I. That's you know. That's why again he's going against the mantra. You know, it's a big risk going in there doing what he's doing. I also do love the aliases uh, he adopts throughout, though I feel like it's so close to your sweet spot. So it's like, essentially, he adopts all these like 70s, like sitcom, uh, like patriarchs, uh, uh, men from the 70s, like sitcoms. And I know your sweet spot from our last conversation is really more of like 80s action. So I feel like it could have been, you know, B.A. Baracus, right? Or Magnum P.I., Thomas Magnum, like that should have been the aliases for Michael Fassbender. That's right. Or again, coming back to to Fletch, you know. Um, yes, of course. Like, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, or Babar when he was the doctor. <laughs> exactly. That was two Bs. No, B A B A R. He's like, but that's two Bs, but not, not right next to each other. That's what I thought you meant. <laughs> um, yeah, um, that did remind me of Fletch. I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. So you bring up something that's come up in our last, uh, a bunch of conversations we've had over the years. Whenever I bring up a movie, we bring up a movie that we have in common, especially that one that you grew up with that often is one I grew up with. You're like a human movie jukebox. A movie comes up and you go right into a great quote. So can I put you on the spot? Can I throw a movie at you that I hopefully feel like you know? And let's see if you've got okay. something. All okay, right. do it. All right. We're going to do some different categories. Let's start with comedies. Okay. Old school. Cover your ears. <laughs> Earmuffs. <laughs> bad words, bad words. Earmuffs. <laughs> Going to the quad. We're all getting naked and running to the quad. Um, how about, uh, let's do a Fletch. Fletch. Okay. Fletch. Um, oh, come on, guys. It's all ball bearings these days. Hey. <laughs> he burns himself on the, on the engine of the plane. Uh, Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. Okay. Um, forget about the fucking dough. Uh, what's your Scorsese jam? You want to do Mean Streets? You want to do Taxi Driver? Oh, in Taxi Driver, doesn't he have a conversation where the guy goes, what's the most dangerous thing when you're driving? Sneezing. You know the scene where he's doing the interview for the job? It's right. So funny, because I've often thought about that when I'm racing. I was like, why don't I sneeze when I'm yeah. racing? You have power over your... Your... <clears throat> I would imagine. Yeah. And finally, Reservoir Dogs. Okay, so it is like, you're like the world's smallest violin. It's terrible, though. It's half, <laughs> half, half a quote. You want to go to your own, Inglorious Bastards? Do you remember any of your own lines? Well, if this is it, oh boy. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I go down speaking the kings. Perfection. Love it. Still an all-timer. <laughs> let's, let's reflect for a moment on the amazing roster of filmmakers you've worked with and your still young career, sir. You've been doing this a while, but we're just getting started. Okay, so most recently, <laughs> most recently Fincher... Taika Waititi, Steve McQueen, Ridley Scott, Danny Boyle, Cronenberg, Soderbergh, Terrence Malick, Tarantino, Andrea Arnold. Let's take a moment, a little, I mean, that's, has that been the barometer for you kind of like to, to chase the filmmakers you admire because you want to be put in the hands of the, of the greats. They're going to take care of you. They're going to make a great film. Absolutely. You know, that's like, I feel so lucky, you know, to be in, you know, in that company to work, you know, under the um, vision of, of these great artists. And that's what makes all the difference. Yeah. Um, it really elevates anything I can do. And um, 
and that is you know that that's the simplicity of it i mean you know making a film is super difficult anyway you can put all the right elements in place and it just doesn't work or the zeitgeist isn't there or whatever else um so you really want to you know give yourself the best chance at getting it right and you know working with the you know that great list of people you named you know that's that's just the education of being in a set with them is, is huge and many of them you know multiple times obviously which is re remarkable too um you know ridley for instance you've obviously worked with a bunch um yeah. So I guess, I guess at this point, so you obviously did Prometheus, which I think you know I uh, uh, love uh, and obsessed with, Covenant, which was great in its own right, a different kind of take, but like there were plans to do more, right? And I guess we're never going to see more, but like at this point, can you say like what, like what was the plan for David going forward after Covenant? Were you excited about what was to come? I had no idea. <clears throat> really? I didn't know after Prometheus, you know, whether we were going to be going on another journey. Um. So I thought I, you know, what I loved about the whole sort of Prometheus sort of launching sort of the alien sort of uh, franchise in a totally different sort of way and, you know, bringing AI into it, I thought it was fantastic. And this idea of creation, you know, and where we were created from. And then this, uh, you know, this, this AI has then now become obsessed with the idea of creation, God. And um, I thought it was, you know, super interesting because obviously you had such an iconic um, franchise with alien and the alien yeah. itself. So I just thought it was such a, um, a, a, an inspiring tangent that he took there. I think as the years go by, I mean, it was celebrated in its time, but it's just going to grow in estimation. I feel like Prometheus and covenant, I have to say the sexual tension between David and Walter, you had great sexual chemistry with yourself, the fingering <laughs> scene, is going to be studied for ages. Oh yeah, that was funny. That was like a lot of fun and fighting myself. That was that was cool too. Um, but yeah, I think you know that the, the the thing you know with the with the Walter and David is like you have one that is devoid of ego and the other that is just sort of drenched in it. Right. So it was just fun. <laughs> That's a fun contrast. Sort of, yeah. 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 And then a side part of the way. Simply. Obviously, yeah. Totally different. <laughs> Completely different people. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like back in like, to, again, to use an 80s reference, uh, you remember Knight Rider when David Hasselhoff would have the mustache as his evil twin, Garth? God, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I love those episodes. He had the, and he had a was big truck. Driving with the Goliath? Yeah. Goliath. Yeah. And then the, the Trans Am was Knight Rider. Yeah. Yeah. Well. We've never really talked about your your passion for, for racing, and it's really ob obviously become a big, big part of your life the last few years. And I saw you you had a wipeout last year. Was that like a near, was that like a, as scary as it looked in, at Le Mans in, in 2022 when you crashed? Uh, it was high speed for sure, because it's coming towards the end of the Mulsanne Strait. Um, it, like scary, it's never really that scary because when you're sort of sliding or heading towards the wall, you're just trying not to hit the wall or trying to figure out, you know, what you can do in that moment. And then you're just thinking, God, I hope this isn't going to be like such a big impact that the car is going to be destroyed. So you're thinking about those things more than physical sort of safety. I guess that comes in into play too, but but mainly just sort of, you know, a little embarrassing really. 
You, you know, I, uh, I'm I'm a 47 year old man that doesn't know how to drive, Michael. So I've already I've offered. Some could say the same about me. <laughs> That's not. True. I've seen the video. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Wait, do you yeah. have a license? Do they... <laughs> Um, I've uh, offered Vin Diesel the opportunity to teach me, but I'm going to, I'm going to open it up. If you want to teach me to drive one day, I I'm, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Next time we'll do the interview in a car while driving because it's good, you know, multitasking. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly what you want to do while driving as as many things as once. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Using your phone. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's the worst PSA ever. Are you especially critical of driving movies? Are you more of like a Days of Thunder guy or a Talladega Nights guy? What's your assessment of the Fast and Furious movies? I like Talladega Nights, I got to say. Okay. And I think a lot of people in the in the racing fraternity do as well, because we're always like, don't know what to do with my hands. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the Senate documentary. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And where are you at in terms of, we mentioned your beloved McAvoy, who I assume you haven't spoken to since you stepped off the set of Dark Phoenix. You were like, this is it. I'm going, by, we're going our separate way. Every now and again, actually. We haven't <laughs> met up in person in quite a few years now. I saw uh, Nick Holt um, when I was in uh, Nicholas. I saw him in um, New Orleans. Uh, he was shooting. Um, oh, the, the Renfield with- movie. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, we were shooting the killer. So I got to sort of hang out with him and catch up with him. You know, we always stay close, you know, even if we don't, if I don't see him, you know, we sort of get back into the banter uh, straight away. So I've just been texting with James, um, but we haven't managed to meet up in person, unfortunately. Do you you miss moving things with your mind? Do you miss the helmet at all? No, you know, the pressure was getting to me in the end, moving stuff all the time on demand, all these kids asking me to do it. And uh, and I was glad hours left. I can't do it anymore. Are you are you satisfied with your run? Obviously, Dark Phoenix was what it was, and maybe didn't turn out the way everybody hoped it would. But was it time for you? Like, do you feel like you know you did you 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 did your time as Magneto? You know, I think we had a great run, and um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. And by the time you know Dark Phoenix was over, yeah, I was like. Well, you know, I was lucky, you know, we, we had a fantastic run of it. Um, but it is funny, that opening stuff I, I did do with the, um, this this kid before was like there. And you know the way you can click open a boot in a car. Right. I had like the clicker in my pocket and I did do that. And the boot of the car opened up, you know, <laughs> and still too young to realize it was a trick. Um, don't, but yeah, don't no, know. I enjoyed the time, you know, and then it sort of came to its sort of, I think, natural conclusion. Yeah. What, what does... You you make your life in Portugal, as I understand it, Lisbon. What is what does Lisbon have that New York doesn't, Michael? What 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 are you just trying to stay as far away from me and everybody as possible? What's going on? Uh, well, I love New York, and I love like I lived in London for twenty years. I do like cities, but I'm a country boy, you know, at heart. I grew up in the country, and I think at a certain point, I just wanted something with more of a relaxed rhythm, um, and. I enjoy surfing, so I wanted to be somewhere that I had access to that. And Lisbon's perfect for that. You know, in 25 minutes, 30 minutes, I can be down on the beach. It's just a lifestyle I get choice. It. And what <laughs> and you need your distance. What um where are you at on theater right now? Because I feel like we've talked about this before. I think it's been a long time since you've been on a stage. Correct me if I'm wrong. Like, are you are you feeling that itch at all at this point? Or is it like 
when it come when the right thing happens, it'll happen. There was one time where I thought Steve Jobs would be good on stage. It would have worked. I said, did you ever seriously talk about it? I didn't talk to anybody else about it. I just uh, talked to myself. About it. Walked around, walked around, muttering to himself. You've been marvelous on stage. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I just thought, wow, that's kind of the perfect script um, for for a three act play. It literally is um, in three acts. Yeah, it totally works. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we'll we'll get on it. We'll talk to the powers that be. What uh, what is on the doc? What is on the docket? I see I see a bunch of potential projects. Sadly, this Nancy Myers thing, I guess, isn't isn't happening. That would have been a a fun one, I suppose. Yeah, that would have been super fun. She's like great, and you know we had great conversations. Um, yeah, it just didn't work out. Um, so I don't know what the future of that project is. Um, but it was you know a great part yeah. of the script. Um, so and do you know I'm what the next sure. one is? Like, I see, I see hope uh, potentially with Alicia. Um, yes, what what, is that is that on I'm the docket? We're excited about that. That that's going to happen at uh, some point next year. We're just trying to figure out when. Um, I think they've already started shooting. Um, and then you know, with my production company, we've been develop developing uh, Night Boat to Tangiers, the Kevin Kevin Barry book, and. He's um, written the screenplay for us. <clears throat> so that's been in development. And then we also have other projects uh, at DMC that's that's in pre-production as well. I, I have a I have a follow-up uh, question from I have a follow-up question from our last conversation on the podcast seven years ago. Uh, when we were talking about Star Wars and you talked about that you had a conversation or two about it. Was the role Kylo Ren? You can say now. We have enough enough distance. It was Kylo Ren. Just blink twice if it was Kylo Ren. Who is Kylo Ren? <laughs> Stop it. Adam Adam so Driver's honestly, character. I can never remember the names. Oh, oh um, Adam, Adam Driver's character. The you know the bad. Oh no, bad. no. It wasn't. It wasn't. No. Oh. Huh. Okay. It, it was Yoda's I, grandfather. It never made it in the actual movie. <laughs> Big Yoda. Yeah, they call him Big Yoda. Yeah, Big, yeah. Big, Big Yoda. <laughs> Yo, Big Yoda. <laughs> Big Yoda in the house. Yeah, he was a um, rapper, uh, and he spoke backwards. <laughs> <laughs> what we might have had. Uh, last great movie you saw? Have you been seeing anything? Did you Barbenheim? Maestro. Oh, so good, right? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't got a chance to see either Barbie or Oppenheimer. Oh, my gosh. I know we were traveling around and there was no cinema that actually had it in English. Got it. So I kind of feel like I've missed the boat there. I do have a little cin uh, cinema screen in, uh, the, at home. So I'm going to watch it on that for sure. Nice. All right. So but what about you? Oh my God. I'm obsessed with, well, I'm honestly, the recent obsession is the killer. I loved Oppenheimer. Poor things. Amazing. Uh, yeah. This is the time of year. This is all the good stuff. I love it. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to see poor things. No, if you're a Yorgos fan and Emma kills it. Unbelievable. Um, all right. So let's we're gonna end with the happy sad confused profoundly random questionnaire, as if my questions already haven't been random. Here we go. Uh what <laughs> Michael, what do you collect? Do you collect anything? What do I collect? I don't think I collect anything. I'm not much of a collector, no. Okay. Not a hoarder. Your, your well, I still actually, the toys that I had from when I was a boy, I still Aww. have them. Yeah, because my son's playing with them now, and that's quite nice. 
I was like, oh, I'm glad I was. I was very particular, like keeping like all my matchbox cars really like without scratches and stuff. And now he's just destroying them in like a matter of two days. Uh, action figure guy. Did you have like the Kenner Star Wars things or Star Wars? Yeah. Star Wars. The yeah. Millennium Falcon still there. I had the Ewok Village, Imperial Walker. Love it. Have you decided which of your films to show your son first? Is it going to be, it's going to be shame, right? You're going to start with shame for him? Start with shame, for sure. You know, just like, this is what your mother was getting herself into. <laughs> How do you think you came about? <laughs> you should learn about shame very early on. I did. So you might as well just watch the movie. <laughs> um, uh, last time you danced, you fa I fancy you as a dancer. You're a dancer, aren't you? Yes, but it has been too long. Probably, yeah, at home with um, with my boy, I was sort of dancing, Aww. trying to sort of start the day. Yeah, very sweet. Uh, what's the wallpaper on your phone? Chandelier. He calls it the drink song. Oh, chandelier. The um, number. <laughs> he was like the drink song, and then the other one was diamonds of Sierra Leone. He calls that twinkle twinkle fast. <laughs> It's kind of brilliant, actually. I'm so excited to move on, to move past you and start talking to the next generation of Fast Bender. <laughs> Discard Michael, out, out of the picture. Um, what's the wallpaper on your phone? Uh, picture of Alicia and uh, my son. Yeah, that is the correct <laughs> answer. Uh, are you the last actor you were mistaken for? Oh, this is great. Uh, Ewan McGregor. I've signed um, pictures of him. That's a collectible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's happened a couple of times. In fact, one time when I was in Austin shooting the Malik movie, there was a guy that I got on one of those tuk-tuk cycle ones. And he was like, you know, you look like the actor Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's true. I was like, you you look like Nicolas Cage. And he did look like Nicolas Cage. Maybe it was Nicolas Cage. That that would really put the <laughs> take the story to the next level. Um, most embarrassing, most movie you haven't seen that you're most embarrassed to admit. Uh, movie that I haven't seen that I'm most embarrassed. I don't know, actually. Okay. That one I, well, I should have seen Oppenheimer by now. <laughs> there you go. Okay. We're staying current. What's the most, there's nothing no annoying about you, obviously, but if, if, if I had to ask your loved ones, what's the most annoying thing about Michael Fassbender? What's the habit? Maybe that people say, all right, enough, Michael. Hmm. I don't know. Um... He's perfect. He's perfect, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, I'm just, there's a long list. How about um, what do you hate? What do you hate about yourself? Let's do some self-loathing, some therapy. Um, what do I hate about myself? I hate my own self-loathing. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what's the worst note a director has ever given you? Um, what's the worst note? Uh, wow. What would that be? That would be, it's so hard to kind of say what the exact note would be. It would, because sometimes like what seems like a bad note from a good director is a good note. You know right. what I mean? So at the so time the you're like, Come on. faster and it's like, okay, yeah. But if it's yeah. the wrong director and they're not like, then any note can be a bad note. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's more of the delivery system than the actual note. 
Yeah. Sometimes the directors weren't even on set. So I was getting directed by the first AD. Right. Okay. I can guess on some of those. Um, <laughs> that's not a conversation on Zoom, I think. What, uh, what, uh, <laughs> what drives I did you get directed by another director on Zoom as well. Oh, someone, a remote, some directing you remotely. That's how John Carpenter okay. just did that. He came back to directing, but directed remotely. I quite liked it, actually, because I could just walk away. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Whatever, yeah. <laughs> What's your pet peeve on a set? What what drives you crazy? What's kind of like... I guess the danger on a set is there's a lot of downtime. Yeah. So it's like trying to sort of get engaged when you need to get engaged, and the sort of staying sort of in a space where you're attentive when you need to be. Um, and sometimes I think when there is that space uh, in between when you're working and the downtime, uh, the, 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 I think the danger is to fall into formulate ways of doing things. Right. Rather than being in tune to what is actually happening now, you know. Um, so that, that, that is a, a danger that I'm aware of in myself. Well, I suppose that's why, again, to bring it full circle, it's why folks, even though they're like, they couldn't be more different kind of directors, Taika, who keeps it so lively and loose and fun, is great. And then David, who, while very meticulous, you described as kind of like, it's not downtime, actually. It's like everybody, it's very focused work and seems like you you have to stay, you're staying in it. And that must be, that's where you want to be. As you said, the danger is in kind of like the mind wandering and getting out of your own head, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, all those great directors that you mentioned, you know, they have an ability of doing that in whatever style that they do do it in. Yeah. You know, keeping people engaged and <clears throat> focused. Is is there one director left on the list right now who's on top of your mind that you're you're dying to work with? Oh, you know, there's so many great directors out there. You know, <clears throat> we spoke about I've always loved the Coen brothers. Right. You know, they're um, fantastic. I mean, the Big Lebowski, I just think, you know. But just what a genius script and what a, you know. Son of Lebowski, Michael Fassbender, the first Coen Brothers sequel ever. <laughs> <laughs> he's old, he's old Yoda. He's a child. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's playing all the relatives now. Grandpa Yoda, what, what did we call it? Yeah, when he was on tour with Metallica. Right. Wasn't he a roadie with Metallica? He, he says was. that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, excellent stuff as always, Mr. Fassbender. I hope it's not uh, as long until the next time we meet. Uh, congratulations. Honestly, these, these two films are fantastic. Uh, everybody should check out Next Goal Wins. It's in theaters. Uh, The Killer, which should be in theaters. I'm just going to say it, but you can watch it on Netflix. It's amazing and worthy of your time. Um, my best to the family. I'm very happy for you, man. And um, yeah, let me know when you want to start teaching me to drive. I'm ready. Okay, let's do it, man. Great to see right. you. Good to catch up. Thanks again, man. Have a good one. Cheers, Josh. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>